Hello, podcast listeners. This is Rob from Farm One. This is an audio-only pre-intro before the intro, background information, all that kind of secret stuff. Uh, the episode you're about to listen to is with Yemi Amu from Oko Farms. It's a really great episode. Uh, I'm really happy to be able to sit down with Yemi. I've been on a bunch of panels with her before. I think this happens a lot with people in the industry where you sort of get to know people 12 minutes at a time with sound bites and presentations and stuff, but you don't always have the chance to sit down for an extended chat. And so this was a great opportunity to talk to another farmer, talk to someone who uh, works with aquaponics. Uh, I mean, it was all about microbes and how to get these sort of environmental systems working. We also talked about food insecurity and why it's so important to have farms in cities. I thought it was a really great chat. Um, so get ready for that. The the um, little thing I want to say is that the sound quality on my microphone is not that great. Uh, we have a really complicated setup on the farm right now. We're trying to do social distanced chats, but also be able to be masks off. And so we have a camera and a microphone set up in the main farm, which is already in a basement. Um, and we have to sort of get that ready with microphones and lights and that kind of stuff. And then I go downstairs to our sub-basement to record my bit. And then we talk to each other over Zoom. And um, I made a bit of a mistake with my microphone. So it's a little bit echoey. It's not terrible, but Yemi's sound is great. Um, and I think that it's a, a really good episode. So don't be put off by a little bit of echo at the beginning. Uh, and also, if you haven't seen our stuff on YouTube yet, uh, give it a try because you can see uh, the guests in the farm and they're surrounded by all our greens and, and all that kind of other stuff. We will do some audio only things as well. Um, we're just doing more and more and we're trying to experiment and we're trying to do interesting stuff. So hope you enjoy. Uh, give it a listen and I'll see you later. Hello and welcome to the Farm One Podcast. I'm really excited because today we have someone new in the farm. It's Yemi. Yemi is from Oko Farms in Brooklyn and Oko Farms is an aquaponic farm. It's also a community farm where people can come and learn uh, about urban farming, about growing things, about the produce that they grow. Uh, and I'm really excited and inspired by Yemi because she's doing something you know, for the community. She's not just doing it for profit. She's there to share. Um, and I'm really excited about her you know, coming on and telling her story. She's sitting there in the farm. I'm sitting down in the sub basement. We're socially distanced, but we're both in the farm. Uh, it's pretty exciting. So thanks for coming in today, <laughs> Yemi. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you too. I love being surrounded by plants in the winter. This is awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It looks good. I, it's a new setup that we've got. Um, yeah, you're surrounded. You've got some basil in front of you, which is slightly unhealthy, actually, our basil there, but it's it's struggling through. <laughs> uh, but you've got some microgreens behind you and everything. So it's awesome to see you in the farm. And so um, why don't we start off, um, Yemi, you know, tell us a bit about yourself and, and what Oko Farms does. Right. So I am Yemi Amu. I'm the founder of Oko Farms and Aquaponics farming and education company in Brooklyn, New York. I've been farming for about 10 years in New York City now, and I've been doing aquaponics um, since about 2011. We established our first farm in 2013, and we're about to open a second, and maybe a third this year. We'll see how that goes, but certainly we're expanding this year. Um, and my background is in 
uh, culinary and nutrition education. So farming for me is just kind of closing that gap between uh, educating people about nutrition and teaching people how to cook. The next step is like learning how to grow the food. And aquaponics is just a great way, a fun way to grow food and a great way to talk about aspects of farming um, that soil production just doesn't allow you to necessarily. And, um, you know, let's let's start off like, how did you, I mean, cause the big question is always like, how did you end up in this whole space? So so tell us a little bit about your background and what, what were the things yeah. kind of growing up around food and around agriculture that eventually led you to this, yes. uh, to this career? Yeah, so I grew up in Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria to be spe specific and moved to the U.S. at 16. Um, growing up, Lagos is a bustling city, 20 million people officially is the population. Um, but I grew up around a lot of fresh food. My mom was a gardener, still is an avid gardener, grows like tons of bananas and plantains, um, all like, you know, in concrete, right? That's because we live in a, in a city, in a concrete jungle. I've just always, seen people growing up in the city I still saw people growing things all the time um, in my middle school I got the opportunity to have like a four by eight plot or two four by eight plots that I worked on and grew food and it was just so much fun um, I never really thought about it as a career opportunity it was just a fun thing to do to grow food to be around fresh food the high school, middle school and high school I went to, all our meals were cooked from scratch every day. Um, so that was the world I grew up in. And then I moved to New York and it was completely different food landscape. Um, never saw anything growing anywhere. Uh, a lot more packaged food, a lot more junk food, which as a 16 year old, I didn't mind. <laughs> but as I got older, it started to be a problem. And I started to notice also um, the inequities, right? So I would notice that in the poor neighborhoods, mostly black and brown communities, there was just really very little access to anything fresh. And if it was fresh, it didn't look good and it tasted terrible, but there's a lot of junk food. That's the opposite of what I grew up with really, because, um, a lot of the more processed foods are imported. You have to like go out of your way to get access to fast food and go to certain neighborhoods. Um, so we didn't, the average person is not eating burgers or McDonald's or fries on a daily basis. Whereas it was the opposite here. I think that kind of started, uh, got me asking a lot of questions, got me in, in, um, interested in nutrition. Um, I studied holistic nutrition and then in grad school, I went to culinary school. I went to this fantastic culinary program in Harlem where not only did we learn how to cook, we also cooked for the public every day. So we prepared meals from scratch for 400 people every day, which was uh, really a, a, a life-changing um, experience for me because I could see how cooking and being a chef could be something that makes a difference in people's lives beyond just working in a restaurant. And then I went from there to working at a housing facility, um, permanent housing facility for formerly homeless, mentally ill adults. And my job really was just to cook for the clients and to 
provide nutrition education. Um, and it was perfect for me because I was in grad school studying nutrition behavior and also had just graduated from this culinary program. Um, but I didn't find my work with the residents particularly effective because um, it was about 48 residents. Um, most of them had been chronically homeless. And then going from you know being homeless five to 10 years to being in uh, <clears throat> permanent housing and then trying to navigate healthy eating was just overwhelming for them. Um, and also having access, you know, they're all on like, you know, food on, on living off very limited income, most uh, which they were not willing to put towards paying for more expensive organic or healthy produce. So farming came out of that for me, where I thought if I start farming, then I can create access for the residents and then teach them to farm. And then they'll always be able to grow their own food. That was how I thought about it. We happened to have a rooftop that was created to be a, a green roof. We converted it into to a farm. So it was 1,200 square foot of a rooftop farm. And again, another transformative experience. The residents loved it. The neighborhood loved it. We got a lot of volunteers from the neighborhood. Just a lot of engagement with people um, in the neighborhood. And it was one of the neighborhood residents that introduced me to aquaponics. And I was just really fascinated with the idea of growing food in water. Um, and also interested in what it would, in, interested in exploring, raising a healthy source of protein for the residents. And I just kind of fell down this rabbit hole of aquaponics and found myself traveling um, I went to Florida. I lived in Florida for a little bit on a farm to learn about aquaponics, travel the Midwest, and then decided I wanted to make it, bring it to New York and make it publicly accessible. And here we are, I think, eight years later. Wow. Yeah, that's an awesome story. Um, so uh, let's go back to that time. So 2013, you decide, okay, you're going to set up this farm. What I mean, what was kind of going through your mind? Did you have any, like, entrepreneurial experience or people in your family who had set up crazy things in the past? Or were you kind of one of the first to sort of step out on your own <laughs> and do a, a crazy thing? So, so I definitely did not have any entrepreneurial experience. Um, this was all just feeling my way through. But honestly, I think I had subconsciously picked things up from my parents. Um, my mom is an entrepreneur. She um, manufactures school uniforms and sells, has run a home business for over 30 years. My dad's a little bit of a serial entrepreneur himself. So I think I just kind of picked it up <laughs> from them without realizing it. Uh, initially, the thought was, I'm just going to set up this farm and show people aquaponics and maybe sell the produce, right? That's what I was thinking. I hadn't really thought about it too much and then the, the planning really started happening after the farm was set up in about july um, of 2013 and then it was like okay this is real how are we going to make it work how are we going to make sure this is sustainable you know all of the real life stuff started to hit me because before then it was just getting access to land and trying to navigate getting access to land in new york city which is not an easy thing to do yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so how did you do that? I mean, what was the, how did you pick a, a place to, to build this farm? And how did you get access to that? What was that kind of like to do? 
that was an interesting process. Getting the land was uh, interesting. The first thing I did was build a mini system in my basement. And I would invite people to come look at the mini system all the time. Uh, in addition to just going around and looking for space. And one day, one of the people I visited said, hey, um, the Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation has a piece of land next to the Moore Street Market that they're interested in converting to a farm. Why don't I connect you with them and we'll see what happens? So I reached out to um, Joan Bartolomeo, who ran the Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation at the time, and also the Moore Street Market. We talked a bit. She'd been trying to invite other farms to this vacant lot for years, and no one would take it because it's a really, it's a strip of land, you know, 2,500 square feet, surrounded by two buildings with no access to water. And I thought, if it's free, I'm just going to take it because it's a fantastic way to demonstrate aquaponics. There is no water on site, so it gives us an opportunity to talk about how um, how this system conserves water and how it makes sense in areas that don't have access to land. But it took a lot of work. It took also negotiating with Green Thumb. It took um, talking to the community board and getting the support of the neighborhood. So going around to the different um, businesses in the neighborhood, talking to people in the neighborhood, talking about the farm, asking how they felt about the farm, coming into the neighborhood, and interviewing people on camera. That process took six months before we actually got access to the space. Six months to talk to the community board, but I think it was a full year between approaching Green Thumb, who owned access, uh, who owns rice to the land, and setting up the farm. It took a, exactly a year. So long process, but it happened because of both Green Thumb and the Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation. And so if you had to give someone advice who was like thinking of doing something like this, a project in their community where they need to get buy-in from different folks. So my advice, honestly, it's a little tough. I wouldn't, I, I don't know hmm, if I would necessarily advise anyone to look for land to grow in in New York. Okay, I'm going to put it this differently. Let, let, let me say this in a more positive way. <laughs> I think the best way, because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to actually advise people to do what I've done, which is find institutions with access to land that are also interested in growing food for their community and see if you can partner with them. I think that's a, that's a clever way to go about doing it. So are there restaurants? Are there, um, I don't know, uh, nonprofit organizations or businesses um, that have, or supermarkets that have space and would be interested in uh, a partnership with a farm? I think those are, that, those are more creative ways to go about getting access to land than just looking at vacant lots and having to deal with the city. Or if you have money at your, at your disposal, then you can look into buying land or um, looking indoors and doing an indoor establishment. If you don't have access to funds, I think partnerships are the way to go. Cool. And, and, and so describe for us, you know, there's been a couple of iterations of OCO Farms 
what was it like when you started? What is the organization now? And, and physically, what have been the different iterations of what you've been through? Yeah, we've been through quite an interesting journey <laughs> since 2013. Initially, the organization um, was created as a for-profit. We only, we didn't think beyond growing produce to sell. Honestly, we established relationships with one or two restaurants, including Roberta's, and then sold on site and at a farmer's market. Um, and then we would just generally talk to people about aquaponics and have people come onto the site to volunteer. What started to happen was we noticed a lot of interest in the educational component. We noticed a lot of interest in school groups wanting to visit our farm, developers wanting to visit the site. So then we included that as part of our services um, and as part of a way to generate revenue. And then we started adding additional things to generate revenue because, you know, we're on a small piece of land and selling produce um, was only taking us so far in terms of being financially sustainable. We started adding educational workshops. These are all of the things that are part of my background anyway. So it was easy to do and um, people showed interest in. We've had people from literally almost, I don't know, maybe like 15, 20 different countries around the world come visit the farm and pay for it. Um, so that, that's been good. When we started farming, we focused on mostly basil, I think mint, um, shiso we added, but we were primarily a basil farm with mint and parsley and lettuce here and there. And then as the years went on, we started really, most of it driven by my curiosity um, to try other things. Like, can we do fruiting vegetables? Can we do flowering plants? Um, and we've gone on ever since to grow really as wide a variety as we can. Can we grow grains? We've tried sorghum, millet, and rice. Um, can we do root crops? We've tried turnips and radish and beets. And we did sweet potatoes for the first time last year. Wow. Cool. We're all, yeah, like we, we're looking for a few years now. We've been doing, um, since New York City has a, we're outdoors and New York City has a subtropical climate. We've also been growing some of the vegetables I grew up eating. And, you know, making that freshly available to West African immigrants who don't have access to those vegetables. Uh, so we, we, we're experimenting a whole lot and we always are. And now this year we're pulling back a little bit from experimenting and focusing on production. So more production, still experimenting, but less. There, it's now time to, uh, we've tried a lot of things. It's now time to see if we can grow those things in a, uh, you know, on a larger scale. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, it's so great that you've been able to uh, experiment and it's so great that you've been able to try things that, you know, because as you said, like most people start out with a hydroponic facility, they'll grow basil, they'll grow the leafy greens, they'll grow like a very limited range that is pretty much the same as everyone else. And so I think it's so cool I mean, like, tell us a little bit, I'm really curious, like, what is it like to grow rice in an aquaponic farm, for instance? Like, how does that even work? Like, how would one go? Work. The, the great thing about growing rice is that rice traditionally was grown in ponds that had fish growing in them. So if you go back and look at what um, was done in places like China, in the Philippines, in Indonesia, you have these different 
rice cultures that involved growing fish, uh, growing fish and rice together, growing rice in ponds and growing fish and rice together. So it makes perfect sense to grow rice in aquaponics. Um, the what we found is that it's really easy to grow. You know, you you seed the way you do. Um, we start indoors in um, earlier in the year. We put it out and we just kind of forget it. Um, the bigger part is, or the more challenging part, is processing the rice at the end. We don't grow enough to sell commercially, but we grow enough to incorporate into workshops and also to um, partner with chefs for farm-to-table events. We grow enough to do that. And then because we don't grow large scale, it's very difficult to find a rice processing machine <laughs> for uh, the scale at which we grow. Yeah. So then we're hand processing, which my God, is a tedious, <laughs> is a really tedious process. Um, and, but you know, one of the beautiful things about farming in a city is that folks are just excited to, to engage in activities that they wouldn't otherwise engage right. in. So we're able to get people to like help us process the rice. We're just excited to, you know, harvest rice and, and process it and see it turn from, go from the husk to, to brown, yeah. you know? So we've been able to do that, but it, it really is a, a long process. Um, I think the sorghum is easier. Processing sorghum is so much easier. And then millet is also relatively easy to grow. And both millet and sorghum are also plants that have been bred for thousands of years, bred by West Africans to be both drought and flood tolerant. So it makes sense. I kind of look at the history of the plant and research the plant um, and see how it performs in flood tolerant environments. And we pick them based on that. That's so cool. And I think- the... And then sometimes it's just a shot in the dark. Yeah, like, and I think the cool thing of the, about what you're doing is that if you look at New York City, obviously, it's a city that represents, uh, I mean, dozens, at least maybe hundreds of different cultures, right? But then when you go into a grocery store, exactly. a lot of the time, it's the same stuff and finding, you know, sorghum or millet yes. or cassava or uh, these other foods that are not so much part of the Western, like American diet, you know, it's quite hard. And also yeah. learning about them yes. or being being in front of them growing as a kid is almost like unheard of, right, in in, in America. Right. And so like, tell us a little right. bit, like how, how does that sort of fit in with your ethos about sharing how this stuff is grown and about educating about like what farms do and, and introducing these foods to, to folks in the community? Yeah, that that really is the most exciting part about what we do. On the one end, we're teaching people about aquaponics. We're introducing people to aquaponics. Um, we have people from all backgrounds um, who are, you know, we have some people who are only who are interested in just the aquaponics piece yeah. and want to learn about aquaponics and want to know what they can grow. Right. So if we have someone who is from Senegal who comes to the farm and is saying, can I grow things that is eaten in my culture? It's important for us to be able to show that and to be able to say, this is why it works and this is how you can make it work. And it's going to grow you know, better in a flood and drain, maybe, or you want to grow it in a media bed. Right. Um, because we're we're really uh, making ourselves accessible to people from all backgrounds. It's important for them to see the foods from their culture being grown um, in an aquaponic system. Otherwise, it's like, eh, maybe it doesn't make sense for me to do it. 
The other aspect of it is folks are just blown away that anything can grow in water (laughs) in that capacity, right? So it's an opportunity to also engage people because I've had people challenge me and say it's not natural. And then you have to go into like even the history, you know, like plants originally started growing in water and plants can't live without water, right? Yeah. yeah, like you could have the best soil in the world, but without water, it's it's useless yeah. to your plant. So we're able to even educate people um, in that sense and say, not only is it great for growing food and very natural, look at all of the different things that we can grow in aquaponics. Yeah. Yeah. And then having people taste it is another one that's really fun, you know, because people, some people ask me, does it taste fishy? (laughs) Which is like always so funny to me, but I guess it makes sense. So yeah, taste it. Does it taste fishy to you? And the answer is always no. So it's just engaging people in, in different perspectives. And then also just, we're growing food. We're a farm, right? So we happen to be a farm that's growing aquaponically, but we are a farm first. So how is our farm also addressing the needs of um, the community that we exist in? And, and, and that's also what we are um, looking to answer or constantly thinking about by um, choosing the crops that we grow. So if we have you know, someone from you know, a Korean background come onto the farm, is there something, or are there one or two things that they can look at and be interested in? And for our American, you know, for those of us who are born and raised here, um, what can we grow that will be interesting to you and you would want to learn and how can we contribute to you diversifying your palate? Exactly. I think that's so cool. And, and you know, part of the thing that we really enjoy at Farm One as well is when people can come to the farm and they can learn something and it, and it, it really sort of reinforces the idea that the farm shouldn't just be a production machine. It should be something that is like of its community right. and should share. And that's why... I think like making farms transparent, making them visible is like a really, really key thing. Yes. And, and, it, and it disappoints me yes. sometimes when like a lot of the sort of hydroponic vertical farms, a lot of that stuff is very closed off, even though it can be like mm-hmm. so close to the city. And it's really frustrating. It's like agriculture in this country. I think a lot of it is invisible, you know, whether it's animal agriculture, yes. or whether it's like field farms or these new vertical farms, it's yes. like they close it off. and. I think especially yeah. especially in a city like New York, and maybe we'll get onto more of this topic of like food security, but if you get into a, mm-hmm. a city like New York where, you know, I think the statistic like one in seven people in, in New York City go hungry or skip meals, um, you know, they're... Yeah, is, it's, it's now one in five, one in five because okay. of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And you get into a situation like that where, you, but, where you've got a city which has food security problems and then you have farms that are essentially invisible um that are sort of designed to be shut off and so that's why i think it's so cool that you're doing what you're doing and i'm i'm interested like how because obviously food security and that sort of topic is one of the driving forces for for you to sort of do what you're doing and share what you're doing do you want to talk a little bit more about that how how what your perspective is on you know why are we in this situation who is the most affected by that and yeah and and what you're doing to counter that Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, what's ironic for me, or maybe not ironic, interesting is when I studied, um, aquaponics in Florida, the gentleman who owned the farm was, I think at the time about 80 years old. 
and he was born and raised in Germany during World War II, one of 10 kids and grew up hungry. He said for the first like eight years of his life, all he remembers is hunger and being hungry. So I, you know, a lot of the work that they did on his farm in, um, in Florida, Morningstar Fisherman, was address food security. And the way that they addressed food security was to go to communities around the world, teach them how to start an aquaponic system and use the technologies from those communities to set up the to design the aquaponic system and to maintain the aquaponic system. So I've always seen aquaponics as um, a tool for addressing food security. And I never saw my role as just growing food to, to feed people, but as being someone that facilitates um, communities throughout New York City being able to have their own aquaponic systems and to be able to grow food for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I strongly believe that in an urban environment, it really is the only way to address food security because there's so much, there's only so much individual farms can do. Mm -hmm. um, at best, you can help feed your immediate community, but you can't do beyond that. But if we have as many farms in different places as possible, with enough people with the knowledge and the tools and the resources to maintain those farms, um, then we can start to address food security in a real way. Um, you know, what happens, my initial thought, my initial um, motivation was like climate change, climate change, what happens mm -hmm. when we can't get to food to New York. 90% of the food that we get here is imported. I think even more than that is imported. What happens when, when there's a disruption in the supply chain? Yeah. We saw that with the virus, with the COVID-19 virus, right? And not only did it have an effect on the supply chain, it had an effect on people's finances, on people's ability to be able to get food. So there's just so many things that are going to be coming at us. For those of us specifically who live in the city and depend on food coming from outside, yeah. um, we, have to, we have to make... And then there's only how there, I think how, how much of the population is even farming right now? Yeah. <laughs> and urban farmers make up a, an extremely tiny percentage yeah. of farmers. So we have to share information. We have to make sure that, you know, that younger people and everyone else in our community has the knowledge and the access to grow food. And, you know, traditional soil farming also is not going to work for most of us in the future. We have to start looking at alternative approaches yeah. and kind of having an open source, you know, yeah. where people are, people are bringing in their own particular knowledge and, and, and resources, but also learning from other established farms. Yeah. It, it, I think it is necessary yeah. to ensure the future for everyone, regardless of your economic status. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. And I think like, you know, talking about food insecurity as well and and the effects that it has beyond just like hunger. I've heard you talk in the past mm -hmm. about how, you know, that can create other sort of lifestyle diseases, right? If you're food insecure, Absolutely. you tend to maybe, you don't have the options, right? And and there's there's this thing that really happens, which is, which is kind of strange, which is like in the West, wealthier diets mm -hmm. now people have access to plant-based foods they have access to organic food mm -hmm. if you're wealthy that's something you can choose to mm -hmm. do you get all the vegetables you want 
Whereas if you're on a lower income, mm -hmm. your access is more about processed food. Um, it's a generally yeah. like less healthy food. And what's weird is like if you go back in time, yeah. uh, countries that were less wealthy, it was the poorer people who were actually eating a better diet, like more richer in vegetables. And as you got wealthier, yeah. you would tend to eat a worse diet in a way. And now we're sort of in this like flip situation. Right. <laughs> what's your what's your sort it's of flip. Yeah. yeah? What do you see on the ground like and you know, in New York City, do you, is that true? Is that sort of playing out? And, and how do we sort of flip that around again and get everyone access to like yeah. the right food? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is absolutely true that in New York City, it is certainly flipped where in poor black and brown communities, um, folks live in an environment that I would call food swamp rather than food desert. Mm. There is a lot of food. Mm. It's just a lot of really terrible food. Yeah. Where on one city block, you can have three fast food restaurants. Yeah. Um, but there's like very little access to fresh foods. And when it's, when the fresh carrots and vegetables are available, they're so much more expensive than you know a meal that you would get at, at at a fast food restaurant. And let's be honest, like people have to make practical decisions um, as to how to spend their money and how to feed themselves and their families. Like even if you want the vegetable, if it costs the same as an entire meal as you can get in a fast food restaurant, right. why would you go for it? Why would you purchase it, right? Um, and then sometimes you get it, and it does not even sometimes, most times it doesn't taste good. Yeah. It's not fresh. Yeah. It hasn't been grown organically. You know, it's been harvested. It's been grown to be able to ship yeah. rather than to taste good, right? So there are all of these factors that would make it just a inaccessible and just unattractive yeah. to people that live in poor communities. And the solution has to be both on the ground and on a policy level, right? We mm. exist in an environment where, you know, uh, farmers that are growing corn and soy get subsi uh, subsidies from the federal government, yeah. but farmers that grow vegetables and small-scale farmers don't have access to um, farm subsidies. That's real. Yeah. Uh, and that's why organic vegetables are expensive. And that's why um, you we don't have as many farmers as we should. Yeah. Um, but there's so many people like Farm One, like ourselves and others who are trying to make um, healthy food accessible by growing the food, but even those um, organizations need support, right? Yeah. It, it, we can't do it alone. We need policy that ensures that people who want to farm can get access to land. We need policy to ensure that um, people who are interested in farming can get access to the knowledge and other resources they need to actually become farmers. So. Yeah. The solution, I think, is more of a, of a policy level and then also is creating awareness and having people ask for it and demand it. And I think that that's the role that Oko Farms plays is that you come onto the farm, you get that experience, and then it gets you thinking, like, why don't I have more of this? And how can we have more of this in our communities? And who should we be talking to to make this happen? And how can I get my community members together? And how can we, you know, the may, um, the mayoral election is coming up. How do we choose, um, how do we elect leaders who are prioritizing, you know, food production and climate change? And, and the role that I think urban farming plays is that really is to create awareness so that people demand better. Yeah, and well, on that topic, right, I don't know if you saw it uh, yesterday, but uh, Eric Adams, uh, Brooklyn Borough 
Brooklyn Borough President uh, Eric Adams. <laughs> I could never say that in one go. Um, but he he announced a report called the New Agrarian Report. I don't know if you've had time to read it because it literally came out yesterday. But it's it's designed to lay out some steps to create a network no, of farms and. I, I think my sort of take on it, and there was an interesting call yesterday where there was quite a lot of folks that we know, you know, uh, Henry from Agritecture was there, um, someone from Aerofarms was there, um, you know, lots of lots of sort of positive things were said, but looking at the report, it doesn't mm -hmm. lay out anything super concrete. Uh, have you got... Right. A, have you got a sense of like what would be some like really, really concrete steps that would help folks like you set up farms and, and inspire others to, to kind of do what we need to do to get farms everywhere and get people more immersed in, in food production in the city? Absolutely. I think the first thing is just create policy that allows people to get access to land. There is almost 600 acres of vacant lots in New York City. How do we make those lots available? How do we incentivize private landowners to make those um, lots available to people to grow food? How do we incentivize, how do we make the ones that are owned by the city accept, uh, accessible? Right now, Green Thumb is the only access to vacant lot owned by the city, but Green Thumb has so many restrictions around, um, a lot of different restrictions, one of them being you can't really uh, you don't have freedom around how you can generate revenue in the space. And you're not really encouraged to generate revenue, right? That needs to be addressed. I think that's number one. Um, there is land in the city. How do we make the land accessible? How do we um, incentivize landowners and developers to make land accessible to would-be farmers? That's just, to me, is very simple. Um, that's something we can get going right away. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is having, you know, some sort of, uh, and then if we wanted to go a step ahead is how do we have programs that there are programs that exist right now that train people to become farmers, Farm School NYC is one, where do these guys go when they're done? How do they get access to funding yeah. Yeah. to get up and running? And where is the land that they're going to farm on? Most graduates end up going upstate um, but there's so many of them who would rather be in the city, who would rather be with their families in the city right. and grow food for their communities in the city. And I think those are two things that could just be policy and we can get going. Um, this report to me sounds like reports that I have that get generated every three or four years yeah. and nothing, <laughs> nothing manifests from it. Yeah, we're tired of that. Yeah. We want some concrete action. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that one of the things, I, I agree, I think there's, you know, I remember going to City Hall a couple of years ago and being part of a big group of people trying to make a case for urban agriculture and what came out of it was a website, I guess. Um, and, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's not enough. <laughs> like, it's it should be, right. <laughs> should be a little bit more than a website. Um, and so I agree with you. And I, I think that, like, yeah. I think that there's so much possibility in New York City, right? Like, we're, it's a huge city. There's so many different people yes. who are excited about food and so many like inspiring people like yourself. And and there's and, there, and like you said, there's lots of vacant lots. There's lots of basements. You know, you're in a basement right now. I'm in a basement. There's lots yeah. of like unused right. spaces in the city. And we now have technologies like hydroponics, like aquaponics, you know, greenhouses on rooftops. We right. have technologies that we can use this mm -hmm. space. 
And I think what it requires now Absolutely. is someone, you know, in government in New York City to actually just be a little bit um, bold, you know, and say, hey, let's actually do something about this so that it goes from yeah. like a problem that New York has to being a strength and to being this like shining light, you know, that could that could really mm -hmm. inspire other cities as well. Yes. Yeah. You can't disagree with that, Yemi, anyway. It's, it's, that's like a... <laughs> Yeah, like we have the opportunity to be a model for other cities, yeah. Yeah. you know, exactly. why not? And yeah, and there's so much excitement um, in the younger generation when it comes to hydroponics and aquaponics, yeah. right? That like, why not? There's, there's technology and folks that, and young people are interested in technology aspects. There's so much benefit to it that it seems like a wasted opportunity to just generate reports every three years. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit more about Oco Farms now and what you've been doing over the past year, because of course, you know, with COVID being, being somewhere that people are encouraged to visit, during COVID, it's a terrible idea, right? Like, it, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, it affected us. Terrible. So, so <laughs> tell me, you know, what was it yeah. like for you? So back in, you know, March last year or February, depending on, you know, when you sort of saw mm -hmm. this coming over the horizon, what did you think? How did it feel for you to kind of see yeah. this thing about to affect your business? And what did you do during the year to, to kind of cope and, and get through it? Yeah. I think the first thing I did was think, oh my God, <laughs> what we were actually in the middle of our um, training program, aquaponics training program, our winter session. Um, the, uh, previously, we were doing it as a seven month yeah. training program. And then I, you know, we've been, I've been brainstorming how to make it more accessible seven months really is a com is a commitment that most people cannot make sure. um and the price also for a lot of people was a lot and i came up with you know making it six weeks making it shorter um and more affordable yeah. so we were in the middle of the first one where we had four classes indoors and then i think like three classes indoors and then three classes on the farm yeah. right and then the lockdown came you know, the, 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 the conversation around is it safe to be outside started. And then it was like we had one workshop on the farm and then we decided not to do the remaining yeah. Yeah. Um, on the farm and then actually do the remaining remotely, yeah. which, again, was not the original plan. So my entire plan for the training program for the year, I had to put on hold after getting through the first one because I'm like, this is supposed to be hands on training. Yeah you know, with lecture and then hands-on. How do we how do we even continue with this? Um, we had to cancel all our school tours. Um, yeah. And we um, really plan and calendar them in January and February, you know, for the entire, uh, for the entire season right. almost. Um, so we canceled all of that. And then I, you know, I think I just spent the first few weeks just going to the farm by myself yeah. and trying to think like what <laughs> yeah. what is going on and then you know i made the decision we have this space i'm just going to grow as much food as possible for people because that is what folks need right. people started reaching out asking like how can i grow my own food where can i get seeds from yeah. um and that inspired me really to just 
continue the classes, but do them remotely. Yeah. If people are reaching out on Instagram and saying they want videos, then we'll make videos. Yeah. Um, if people are still asking for education, then we'll do it remotely. Yeah. Um, and then what I learned from the remote programming is that we can actually reach people in other parts of the world and other parts of the country that we originally couldn't have um, by doing the on-site program. Yeah. So it's not ideal in the sense of giving people that experience that um, they want, but at least we're still able to pass on that information and the knowledge. We were able to find a kind of balance between doing our entire six weeks remotely, yeah. but also having people sign up to come to the farm. Right. So that they at least get that experience. And we, you know, it's all masks and gloves and washing our hands and trying to stay six feet apart, which is really hard <laughs> on a farm. Um, but we kind of got through it that way where we were still able to have some engagement, but really limited because no, we didn't do any tours. We didn't do any workshops. It was just folks who had um, signed up for our training program who were coming to the farm to help out. And then we also had a few volunteers that had signed up um, in advance and we pretty much stuck to those people throughout the entire year. And they just, be, you know, we became a bubble. Yeah. Um, and now we're doing remote lessons. Now we're doing virtual tours. Again, not ideal, but you know, it's better than nothing. Um, so we have virtual tours and we're doing um, remote classes with schools. Uh, typically in the winter, we would actually be in schools and be setting up small mini systems in classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we're figuring out how to, you know, how do we get these system set up in the kids' homes. Ah. And it's not always feasible okay. for most kids. Even though they're tabletop systems, some parents don't want it. Yeah, sure. I can imagine. <laughs> they're just not interested in, in having to take care of one more thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it. And it's yeah. totally understandable. But how do you... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we're still... We're providing the classes and constantly fine-tuning them and working with educators, right. uh, you know, and trying to, because even educators are a little like frustrated with having to do remote learning. And we see our role as kind of making it more interesting for them and creating dynamics. So yeah. that's where we are so, now. So like, let's do a little, play a little game. And like, if you were to give someone a little virtual tour of Oko Farms right now, mm -hmm. like an audio uh -huh. version. How, what would that yeah. be like if you step into the space? Uh, What's it like? So you step into the space. First of all, when you're outside, you're not going to think there's a farm there because <laughs> we are sandwiched between, I think it's, um, it's now a pizza shop. And then next door is it used to be a smoke shop. Now it's an account, like a tax prep okay. <laughs> <Big change. laughs> business. Uh, it's a really busy street, uh, but there's a, yeah, there's a big sign that says aquaponics, Oco Farms Aquaponics Farm and Education Center. So you walk in, there's a huge white tent and that's where we keep the fish. So you can't see them until you go around the corner. And once you turn around the corner, the first thing you see is just plants, um, literally taking up the entire farm, uh, the middle space. And these, this is our deep water bed with plants floating on top. So that's all you can see for about 50, for at least 50 feet. Um, and that's when people get excited because they walk in and they go, what is this place? 
and then they turn the corner and they go and they gasp, right? I love that gasp because no one's expecting to see that. Um, and then when you make a slide right, um, you can enter the like modified greenhouse. It's not completely closed, so we can't call it a greenhouse where the fish are. And our fish are very visible. We have um, the tank dug in the ground and that was deliberate. Um, for insulation, um, because it was like the cheapest thing we could do. And also so that people can see the fish and be able to engage and interact with the fish. And our fish respond positively to that. They are really the star of the farm. Yeah. Um, people come there to see them. <laughs> uh, so the first thing they'll do is swim up to you. And folks really love that, wow. seeing that level of engagement. Yeah. Um, and then when you walk down, you get to see our plants growing in the deep water bed and then some plants growing in a media bed. And then we have some soil along the fence. And that really is just so that people, so that we have an opportunity to in, internally compare growth in soil versus aquaponics. Right. Um, and also sometimes to show people, hey, it's the, it grows the same way. It's not any different. Um, when we have when we could have people on the farm, we would do some blind taste tests, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, Great. harvest some some tomatoes from the aquaponics and tomatoes from the soil and see if, uh, and these are, you know, crates really, milk crates filled with soil, um, and see if people can taste the difference. Yeah. That's always fun because most people can't. Uh, <laughs> and so for the, for the benefit of the listener, um, I, I think we yes. should probably... Uh, just describe what is aquaponics. I mean, I think a lot of people listening to this now know what uh, hydroponics is, like growing plants yes. in a water-based nutrient solution instead of soil. But what is aquaponics? Yes. What's that all about? Aquaponics is hydroponics with fish, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I like to define it as an ecosystem approach to food production where you're cultivating fish and plants simultaneously. Um, the fish are a, a natural source of nutrients for your plants, and then the plants are acting as a source of filtration for the fish. Mm -hmm. So you are able to recycle water the same way you do um, in hydroponics, and what you get at the end is fish and plants. Yeah, yeah. And what's, and what's the secret to running an effective aquaponic farm as opposed to hydroponics? Because... Like if you were gonna be oh. if you were gonna be rude about hydroponics, you would say, "Hey, it's easy. You just buy the nutrients, <laughs> you mix them in the right it amount, sure and then you're done." It sure is. <laughs> like, how do you make it work with aquaponics? Because obviously, you got to keep some fish happy, you got to keep plants happy, yes. you got to do the mixture. How does yes. how do you do it? So, the secret is understanding that you are raising three living things simultaneously. You're raising fish, you're raising beneficial microbes, and you're raising plants. Um, and you have to understand that whatever you do for one must benefit the other two, right? So if you're adding nutrients for the plants, make sure that those nutrients are not going to be harmful to the fish right. and are not going to be harmful to the beneficial bacteria, right? So it really is managing an ecosystem. So it, it requires more patience than, aquapon uh, than hydroponics does. You have to make three living things happy. Yeah, um, yeah that, that, that's, I, I, in the beginning, always forgot the beneficial microbes because I couldn't see them. <laughs> you know yeah. and you're 
you're you're busy, you know, caring for like this is wrong with the fish, so you address that issue. This is wrong with the plants, so you address that issue. And it took me a couple of years to stamp back and be like, am I making sure that everything I do benefits all three? Um, and if it's not benefiting all three, why isn't it? And once you're doing things that benefit all three, you don't have issues with e with any one of them individually, if yeah. that makes sense. No, that's a really good point. And I, I guess like um, to think about it in a very simple terms, like because one of the things my girlfriend asked me this morning, Gabby, she said, well, hey, does it just mean they've got a tank of fish and then they put the plants on the top? Uh, but yeah. but like probably not, right? Like it's a little bit more complex than that and you need to sort of filter the water and you need to maybe do things to it. But how does it? How does that water that the fish is living in turn into water mm -hmm. that the plants can live in? Right, so it can be as simple as that, honestly. Okay. Um, Yes, but when if you're looking at how rice is grown in ponds, it literally is that simple. Mm -hmm. It's the fish are at the bottom and the plants are on top. You just have to create a barrier between the fish and the plants because some fish will eat the plant roots okay. and you don't want that. Yeah. So having some sort of barrier, right. And then the fish are, you know, producing the waste and then you have beneficial microbes that are turning that waste um, into nitrogen and all the other nutrients that the plants need to grow. That's one way of doing it. And in a system like that, you have to be really careful with your fish density. Um, in a system like ours, we have our fish completely separate from the plants because we want to be able to feed the fish separately. Um, and then we don't want our fish nibbling on plant roots. Right. We want to see them, engage with them. Um, if we ever want to take them out for any reason, we're able to do that very easily without worrying about the plants being in the way. Um, so we move our water from the fish tank through a solid filtration system. And that just means this uh, is just a tank that captures some of the actual physical solids that comes out of the fish. Yeah. And then the water goes through the plant beds and then comes back to the fish. Um, and the pump really is moving the water. Um, we use gravity to move our water. So the, the pump pushes water up and then gravity moves it through the grow beds and then back to the fish tank. It's really that simple for us. Um, we clean our solid filtration tank once a week. Um, you don't want, you can have solids in your aquaponic system. You just don't want too much of it to build up because then it becomes a nuisance. So being able to manage it and remove it, you know, monthly or weekly, depending on the number of fish that you grow uh, matters. But what really is converting that waste, that toxic ammonia in the, in the fish waste into nutrients for plants are your beneficial microbes. And those guys are naturally occurring. As long as fish waste is present, they will show up. Um, and what you want to do is just create surface area. And surface area is your plant roots, right? Um, microbes really form symbiotic relationships with plant roots. You can also look at, your, at your, your bed, your actual physical plant bed, as surface area where your microbes will also grow. And then the, whatever media you're using to grow your plants will also have beneficial microbes. I like to think beyond that. Yeah. I like to think microbes are everywhere. Yeah everywhere, including even on your fish, right? So they're in your plumbing, they're in your tanks, they're just like throughout the, the system. Mm -hmm.
And how do you, and like as a farmer, as if you're trying to make sure your system is healthy, how are you testing for presence of specific microbes or is there, are you looking at sort of secondary characteristics to see that they're there? Like, how do you know that the system is healthy and those microbes are, uh, are happy and healthy? Are, are present, yeah. Well, we do water tests. So we do water quality tests that allows us to test for two groups of microbes. Um, Nitrosinomus, uh, which converts ammonia into nitrite, and then Nitrospira, which converts um, nitrite into nitrates, which plants take up, right? So that's just two groups, but there's so many other groups of microbes, but you at least want to make sure that your system is producing nitrates at the very least. Right. And it's like, once those guys are present, because microbes naturally form communities and, and, and uh, with each other, all the other guys will show up too. Yeah. It's how I, I always use the example of if a wheat farmer shows up in the farm on a, in, a, in an empty town and starts to grow wheat, uh, then a bakery is going to show uh-huh. up. Uh, a mill will show up, right? Uh, uh, a brewery will show up and people who like to eat bread and drink beer will also show up. <laughs> so you kind of look in microbes like that. Yeah, that's really, that's really <laughs> when cool. one group shows up, all, all the others show up. Yeah. Oh. Um, and then you can tell by looking at your fish and your plants. Like, are you, are do your plants look healthy? Yeah. Um, do your fish look healthy? Do they have good appetite? Are they being active? You know? Okay. Those are all the signs. Oh, does your water smell? Oh, what should it smell like? If uh, it's, should it not smell at all? It should, or, or... it should have no smell. Okay. Okay. Have you ever yeah. walked into the farm and been confronted by a terrible smell? There's something. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah. like, um, in talking about these, um, you know, bacteria, beneficial bacteria, and the microbiome and stuff like that, I mean, is that something that you knew about before you started at aquaponics? Or is that something that you sort of discovered along the way? And I'm curious, like, if that's affected how you think about your food as well, because I think there's been, you know, a lot of sort of understanding over the past five to 10 years about beneficial bacteria in our own bodies, right? And in our diet and how a diverse diet yeah. of, you know, that's rich right. in plant foods right. can be really beneficial. Right. And, and the gut, it just seems like we're discovering stuff more and more every day about how our gut bacteria determines, you know, even right. our food preferences and like, you know, our moods even, like what's your take yeah. on all that? And how do you think about some that as, as someone who's, you know, in touch with this, you know, biome every day. Yeah. Um, well, it's really fascinating. I, re- before aquaponics or in the beginning of my um, aquaponics journey, I only focused on those two microbes and it was very literal for me. It's like, okay, you have one microbe convert ammonia to nitride and then the other one convert nitride to nitrates and we're done, right? Yeah. Um, And I didn't really think about it beyond that until I started reading all these articles about um, our microbiomes and started reading articles about microbes in soil. Um, And then I started to ask myself questions like, well, what I learned was that these two microbes produce nitrates, but what about all the other nutrients that plants need in order to grow? And in soil, there are so many different microbes that contribute to um, providing all of the nutrients that plants need. Is it the same in aquaponics? So I started researching and trying to understand because there's not a lot of information um, on that necessarily. And then I started looking to aquaculture 
and um, reading articles about how aquaculture farmers are now looking to create um, diverse microbial colonies in their ponds because they're realizing that it's contributing to healthier fish yeah. rather than um, adding antibiotics right, right. to the system. Right. Um, so it really just started. So I've been connecting the dots, you know, that way. Yeah. And I started reading books on microbes and understanding how microbes actually um, exist in the world and how they behave yeah. and learning, you know, that they behave the same way in water. You know, so the microbial community you might have in a pond, it would be the same thing you would have in an aquaponic system, even though aquaponics farmers and researchers don't necessarily focus on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's but you know I think it's it's something I'm super fascinated about. I mean, I've always been interested mm -hmm. in it from a nutrition point of view, but I've all, I'm also mm -hmm. you know interested in how you know we live in sort of uh, especially this year like a sort of very clean environment, mm -hmm. right? Like we we yes. wipe things. You know, <laughs> the use of hand sanitizer over the past year has been like I don't know fifty times more than ever before, and I, I guess what I'm yes. sort of a little bit worried about is that our response to COVID, which is totally understandable, is to try to like sterilize everything, right? And then, but then, you know, what's happening is yes. of course we're, <laughs> we're removing all this bacteria and studies show that of course, you know, if you grow up in a sort of mm -hmm. healthy, dirty environment, you'll be less prone to allergies. You know, even mothers giving birth, yes. right? Like the birth canal has useful bacteria that helps the baby and yes. and all this stuff. And so, like, I don't know, what do you think about that? But I'm kind of a little bit worried that we've now taken a step back and that now everything is mm. everything is dirty. So we have to clean everything and we're actually going to throw out, yes. you know, uh, this really good stuff. Good, good microbes. Yeah. Yeah, you are absolutely correct. Um, it's also a difficult thing to say publicly because everyone's so terrified. Um, and we already have a bias towards microbes anyway. Once you say bacteria, most people think germs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of undoing <laughs> I have to do unlearning that I have to do with people where I'm like, okay, there's there are germs and then there are beneficial microbes. And germs are only a tiny fraction yeah. of all the microbes um, that exist. And you're absolutely right. What I try to do when I teach aquaponics is use that opportunity to talk about the necessity for microbes yeah. and to talk about how when you use antibiotics, you're killing microbes indiscriminate. How do I say that word? Yeah, in, indiscriminately, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, indiscriminately. You're killing all of them, yeah. right? So what are the ways to focus on creating healthy microbes rather than getting rid of what you don't want? Like that is how I approach my work. And that's when I teach aquaponics, I spend so much time emphasizing why microbes are great for yeah. us. Like bacteria, what kind, all the different kinds of bacteria. You wouldn't have, um, without them, we wouldn't have food. We wouldn't have cheese. Without them, we wouldn't even have clean air. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we wouldn't have beer and all these things. So it's just, I try to get people to think about microbes differently. And hopefully they make those connections because I feel the same way. Like it's all about washing on the farm. You know, I let people know we, we don't want to wipe things. We want to rinse it, yeah. but we don't necessarily want to wash. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, especially the growing system. We want to wash plates and buckets and things we harvest with, but the system itself, yeah. um, we, we want to be really careful about, um, how, you know, and I'm always emphasizing, how do we encourage beneficial bacteria? How do we 
think about encouraging beneficial bacteria. It's a different way of, of being in the world <laughs> and it's a different way of thinking. And I think it's that 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 needs to change. Yeah. Um, I, I, because people are just terrified of germs and have been for the most part. No, time. I completely agree. And I think it's one of these it's it's a really good example of why farms in cities that let people in are really important because what you're talking about is a much more sophisticated understanding of bacteria than what you get mm -hmm. if you just go to the grocery store and you get produce from California and it comes in a bag which is it appears to be like sterile right and so you get Pristine, in your mind yeah. you get this idea that like sterile equals good and like we have to close yes. off the world and and it, and it also comes out in the way people think about pest control as well. You know, people yes, think that, oh, yes. you've got to apply pesticide. And then when it comes out, you've got to wash it in chlorine. And like, unless you mm. do that, it's going to be bad for you. Whereas I think what mm. you're talking about is a much more sophisticated understanding of like the, how, the way the world works. And, and that if you grow mm. things carefully and you grow them in a human way and you involve, you know, the environment and you maybe, I don't know about pest control on your farm, but like we, we use insects for pest control and beneficial, um, you know, yeah. nematodes and things like that. And, and that requires more thought and mm. more attention, but ultimately it's a healthier yes. way of doing it. Right. Absolutely. And and you're right. I mean, one of the, the the challenges with aquaponics is you don't even have the option of using most pesticides, right? You because you never know what could we're recycling the water constantly and you never know what could get in there that could be harmful to your fish yeah. or your beneficial microbes. So you really are forced to to operate differently. Yeah. Um, and then you start to look at how can I use the environment to my advantage? How do I create a system where even if my fish get sick, they can bounce back from it because easier because their beneficial, their immune system is strong and their beneficial microbes that help them. And you're thinking about the plants the same way. Um, if your plants are in a, grow, a healthy growing environment, even if the disease or the pest shows up, the damage will not be as severe right. as if they're growing when they're growing in a completely sterile. Yeah, I mean, this is, but this is so um, funny because you could replace the word fish with like human beings, really, and they right. think about the world, right. like and and having like a, a diet that you know puts you in touch with different bacteria, creates different bacteria in your in your digestion, and having a mm -hmm. life that get, puts you in contact with different things makes you a stronger person. It makes you you know, less vulnerable to disease, right? Yeah. And the way that yeah. we, I think the, the the way that we need to think about the world over the next 20, 30 years is just like that microcosm that you just talked about. Like if you use pesticides mm -hmm. in the water, it's going to affect the fish. If we use pesticides mm -hmm. in our agricultural practices, it will affect us. You know, it will affect the fish yes. in, our, in our seas, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. It, it is a different it's shifting the way that people see the world. And I really think that, like you said, this is why having urban farms matter and why having people engage, you know, come to a farm and interact on the farm. This is why it matters yeah. because you can talk about this, but then when people experience it for themselves, it changes that, yeah. that thinking. Yeah, 100%. So um, on that note, like, what's your... I mean, what's your dream about where you can take Oko Farms and the ideas that you're talking about over the next five, mm -hmm. 10 years? If everything went your way, 
what would it look like uh-huh. in 10 years time and what would new york city in a more broad sense as a food system urban farming what might that look like if everything went the way it, it should go that's a fun question uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, what i would love to see in new york is having farms in as many different places as possible, especially where people live and congregate Um, and seeing different types of farms, right? So having rooftop farms, having farms in basements and buildings, having farms in parking lots, having farms in vacant lots and having, you know, some of them be aquaponics, some of them being soil, some of them being hydroponics, just having a robust and diverse um, urban farming yeah. in in New York, to me, I would love to see that because different, di- you know, soil makes sense for certain communities. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work at all for other communities. Yeah. Um, being indoors is the only option in certain places. Um, so just being as diverse as possible and having these farms in schools, in hospitals, in places of worship, at supermarkets, at food pantries, you know, yeah. um, in buildings, in residential buildings, sure. just having them everywhere. I would love to, to see that. And of course, I would love Oka Farms to be part of, yeah. <laughs> to be part of that, you know, to, to be able to support organizations in getting aquaponics farms to their communities if they want it. Like we have a relationship with a food, with an anti-hunger organization right now. We work with schools. We're, we're um, going to be working with a developer soon, um, hopefully with some churches yeah. in the future. So I, I love that um, because it, it just brings farming to people uh, and if you're going to have these farms in all of these spaces, it means that you need to be able to train people to run them. Yeah. So you're looking at an economy now um, that is, you're looking at a farm economy yeah. in, in the city, which we currently don't really have at the moment. Um, you're looking at job training. You know, these are opportunities for entrepreneurship, for, for people to be hired. Um, we are really looking at farm training. So having a, uh, a site um, where people can come and train is really important to us. And, yeah. you know, I tried the seven months, I'm trying six weeks. Right. I'm still looking at what the balance <laughs> <laughs> looks like and what the options are. Yeah. Um, being able to collaborate with um, universities and even other farms to provide this training. Yeah. Um, so because how beautiful would it be to to come to Oka Farms to learn aquaponics and then learn hydroponics from somewhere someone else and maybe even learn some soil. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think it'd be fantastic. Um, this is this is so yeah. cool. I mean, you're saying a lot of the things that I, I I completely agree with you. Basically, I think having you know having more farms in the city, having places where people could train, having places where people could work once they have trained, you know, would ingrain this into mm-hmm. everybody's idea of like where food comes from, and it would just be. Mm-hmm. It would be so great if in every community people would say like, oh, yeah, I know, like my friend trained, he works at this farm or it's like she works at this farm. Mm-hmm. And then having the idea that, oh, OK, I'm part of this food system, you know, it starts to be so, mm-hmm. so powerful. And and I'm, yeah. and I'm so sure that Oko Farms is going to be a great part of that. I believe it can happen. Um, and, and I guess the question yeah. to sort of 
to begin to wrap it up, the question you know for our listeners and our viewers is, okay, if they want to support that future, how can they do that? If they want to support Oco Farms, how, what's the best way to do that? And, and what are other ways that they can support this kind of vision of a better food system in New York City? For sure. I mean, if you want to support Oco Farms directly, um, follow us on Instagram, go to our website. Um, we have a bunch of virtual classes right now that either you can sign up for or you can uh, pay for someone else to take the classes, especially schools. We do, we're doing virtual tours for schools, but also for um, organizations, for corporations if they want it. We are doing, um, we have one-off workshops that we offer. Um, what else? Like aquaponics design, intro to aquaponics. We're still fundraising for our new farm site. Um, we are really excited to, you know, have a new site in 2021, maybe two. Yeah. <laughs> so the more money we have to make that uh, happen, the better. Um, and then invite us to speak. You know, if you're putting something together, and, and invite us to to speak at whatever event. Um, and if folks have resources that they want to share, sometimes people have land and that's what they have to share, you know. Um, we've had people send seeds, which is really sweet. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're just, uh, yeah, there, there's so many ways. There are different ways to collaborate with us. There's schools that collaborate with us. There are um, churches that collab, places of worship that collaborate with us. Um, either to bring aquaponics education to their to their communities yeah. um, or to set up aquaponic systems. So those are all of the things that we do. And then um, in terms of what folks can do just beyond Uncle Farms and just help to secure um, food for New York City residents yeah. is, is start to push for policy, you know. Um, um, Eric Adams needs, needs to do more than just a plan. Like, let's push for more than that. Yeah. Um, there are people who are in interested in environmentalism, know that having, you know, food production spaces that are organic in the city also helps mm. mitigate. You know, we're also looking at composting. We're addressing food waste. We're addressing greening communities. We're addressing um, put, taking carbon dioxide from the environment. We're addressing um, um, ecosystem biodiversity. We're addressing all of these problems through urban farming. Yeah. So if you care about climate change, you should also be pushing for policy and pushing our elected leaders to, to do more. All of these things are connected, you know? Um, yeah. That makes so much yeah. sense, so, You're talking so much sense. How come, how come you're not in politics? I, ah, I can God. see it in the future, maybe, <laughs> you know, when you're tired of farming. Give it a thought. When I'm tired, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. And, uh, you know, I think we sort of have to wrap it up now, but is there, are there any parting thoughts that you want to leave our viewers and listeners with? What, what thought for the day do you want them to go away with uh, in a positive Ooh. way? Microbes are our friends. Yeah. Um, microbes are necessary to feed us and to help us breathe and to help us digest food. Um, they are nature's uh, recyclers and nutrient generators. I think, and, and if you think aquaponics, think microbes. Amazing. 
think I'll, <laughs> I think I'll do that. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Yanni. Yeah. It's been so much fun talking through all this stuff. And yeah, I invite you, if this you're listening, fun. check out Oco Farms on Instagram, check out their website, support them with the class. If you can't at attend a class yourself, you can buy a class for mm -hmm. someone else. And so that's a great way to kind of share this idea. And of course, once, you know, once the world gets back to normal, you'll be able to visit in person uh, and check out the, the place. I'm so glad we had you on today. Really looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm so looking yeah. forward to that. Me too. Me too. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Yemi. It's been great. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. It's great being here. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>